I always, I would, I would be thinking about you guys. What's up, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Kendall K. Howard. I'm back again with another episode of uh, How You Doing? Uh, today, I got a very special guest, uh, a friend of mine, who is uh, becoming an author right now, writing his own book. Uh, met him in college, you know, we get the same major. He's currently working for his master's program at Arizona State University still, in my correct? Just, just, just finished it in May. Just finished, just finished it in May, so he got it. Walter Cronkite School, uh, introduced him to my man, Lamar Smith, a.k.a. L.A. What's going on, brother? How you doing, dog? I'm doing fine, man. Just, you know, putting this work in for the book and whatnot. So talk to us. Like, let's get straight into it, man. Like, talk to us. Like, you are a journalism major like me, you know, and you, we, you're very interested in sports. You know, we just now talking before the show started about sports and now you're just talking. Like, how did you get into becoming an author? Like, what was your inspiration to want to go into this career path? Man, that that was hectic. So it's, it goes back to like a phrase that I learned from a friend of mine, uh, Terrence, that went to UK when I was a freshman. He said, you know, you got to plant a seed and then, you know, you got to watch it grow. Obviously, he used it in the phrase when he was telling me like how to get better with talking to women. But it's something that really applies to everything, right? So... Yeah. The seed was planted by my barber. My barber, uh, Dwayne Johnson in D.C. Like, he's... The, the rock? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, snap. I didn't even think about it like that. I got, I'm looking at a poster of the rock, yeah, too, so it's funny you said that. that. <laughs> I be mean, forgetting that's his name. But, yeah, you know, Dwayne, he... Uh, his, his name's spelled different, though. It's D-U-A-N-E. Okay, okay. But yeah, Dwayne... Dwayne told me it was the summer after I graduated from UK. He was like, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? So random. Like, my bar was like, ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, no, why would I, why would I write a book? He was like, man, you've done, you know, amazing things. You worked at American University the last three summers. Uh, you went out of state once, got your degree. About to go out of state again. About to get another degree probably something cool that you've done that's worth writing a book about. Why not do it? And I was like, huh, maybe I could write a book. And I pitched the idea to my mom. And one, she shot it down because I, I ain't gonna lie, I didn't even know what the hell I was gonna write about. I was like, mm. what would I write about? And she was like, I don't know, maybe you wanna focus on school first and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe write a book later on, all right? And this is not to say there's anything against my mom, but, you know, she's just looking out for me. It's just that's what uh, I'm thinking of parents is that, you know, it's a traditionalist kind of method that's already always been happening as far as, you know, you go to school, work, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of how life has always been, especially if you think about their era opposed to now where entrepreneurship and 
building businesses and doing, you know, forward thinking stuff is more of a norm than it was back then. Yeah. Especially so for black parents think too. about it now. Is it what? I said, especially for like black parents too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like how I thought about it once I got the uh, initial idea to, you know, start a book. But she told me that. I was like, all right, makes sense. So then, like I said, the idea started to grow. It took me to watch a video by Gary Vee. And I saw a video and he was talking about, okay, all my 2019 graduates, if you're between the age of 22 and 30, because it was like a 2019 address, this is your prime chance to make whatever mistakes you want to make, take whatever risks that you want to take. And be able to bounce back just like that. He said, if you don't have a significant other, don't have kids, what is the worst thing that could really happen to you? You fail? Okay, then you learn from it. You keep it pushing. And I was like, hmm, that's a good idea. Because this is at the time when I, a couple months into me first, like, finding Gary Vee. I don't know how I found him on Instagram. But everyone seems to find Gary Vee. So I was like, hmm. How could I take a risk that's going to benefit? So I was like, hmm, writing a book. And I thought about it because my my barber planted the seed in 2018. So like, if I do write a book, what am I going to write about? And I was like, if I write about something, I need to write about something that's unique to me, right? So the first thing I thought about is the whole party promoting experience at Kentucky because I mean, you know it because you went to some of my parties as well. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> it's a unique experience. And before I went to Kentucky, or even my first couple years going to Kentucky, there wasn't anything like it. After I left Kentucky and hearing stories and visiting the school, there hasn't been anything like it. So my year was very a one-on-one experience. One-of-one experience is pretty much like the NBA bubble. So... I was like, I have to write about this. But I was like, I can't be telling on my business because, you know, I want to have some privacy, you know, in general, just yeah. a, as a person. So I was like, make it fiction. Easiest solutions to the problem. Make it, make it all fictionalized. So change the names of the school, everything. Make it fiction. So I was like, hmm, I'm going to make a fiction version of this. And then the fiction version allow my creativity to kind of like just explode. So first thing I did was call, you know, my best friend in Arizona, uh, who honestly is probably my best friend now. You know, we got real close real quick. My friend Noah, who goes to Arizona State. And me and Noah, we just talked on the phone for like an hour while he was driving from Cali to AZ. And we fleshed out like the whole bare bones of the project just right there. And I was like, what are we going to call the school? Well, I'm going to name the characters, et cetera, et cetera. So after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to write the book. And the difference between what future books I'm going to write, the planning process was very abrupt because I knew myself, I was like, I just need to get it done. Mm-hmm. As soon as I started putting pen, well, type it out. As soon as I started typing it out, that's when it's going to start to become from a, a thought or a dream to a reality. And then I wrote every single day and I was like, hey, I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep writing to make sure I get it all out because that's how I'm going to force myself to get in this habit. And the crossroads of it was 
when I took Cronkite News, which is the capstone for the master's program and for the undergraduate program in journalism at the Walter Cronkite School, I started to realize how much time it took. Like, because I thought I knew, but I didn't really know. How much time it takes as a journalist, especially if you're in sports. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do both at the same time. And if I do, it'll be after, like, I've already, you know, been in the field for a few years. And the way I felt about writing, the way I still feel, is the love, the passion that I had was undeniable. I feel like I have a gift for this, which I feel like is more evident each and every day because the ideas that I'm coming up with, which you'll be able to see, I don't know if you already started reading like the beta version of it, but this isn't like normal stuff. If you gave a normal person, which we're just going to talk about the normal conventions of, uh, you know, a word document was like, Hey, write how you feel. Like think of a story for me. Everyone doesn't come up with these ideas with the same ease. Uh, there's usually writer's block, which for me is pretty rare. Like I've had it a handful of times, but it's probably 5% to 95% as far as the creativity level. And it's just like, I can, I can, you could just feel something when you're like meant to do something. I'm like, yeah, I have to get this done some way, somehow. So I was like, I don't want to put this off. And I was like, I don't want to, you know, start my career, put this on the back burner and then wonder what could have been because the first draft was done, but it wasn't published. And to me, the reality is when it's physically in my hand, that's when the reality will set in. So I was like, I need to make a career change. (laughs) So I was like, I took the role less travel and was like, you know what? I'm going to be an author. Will I try to get into journalism in some way or write or whatever, some way where I can also do another job while I write books? Yes. But it was pretty evident to me that I needed to write books. Like something was calling me, something about it, just I love journalism or, you know, enjoy it a lot. But to me, it's like how Gary Vee always talks about happiness. The passion I had for writing books usurped the passion I had for journalism. So it was an easy to, it wasn't an easy decision, but when I boiled it down to that, it made the decision easier. You know, it's, it's funny you said that because like I mentioned this to a couple of people I interviewed on the show and I talk about this to people that I like talk about this type of stuff with all the time is that you you went through this path, like you went through the School of Journalism at UK, you went to a master's program in the Walter Cronkite School at Arizona State, all for journalism, but you found your passion in writing books. And like you said, you said you can like feel like it was something that you really wanted to do. And I think it's very important for like a lot of people to realize when they like found something that they like really passionate about and something they want to do, I think they should like really pursue it. And I also like how you brought up Gary V too, because um, me and you both know George. He yeah. kind of introduced me to Gary V too. And like, that's one of the kind of things he kind of preaches, like do stuff that makes you happy. Like your happiness is most important than anything else. Like, and that's something that I always tell people too, like happiness is more, it's worth more than money. Like you'll be able to find your happiness with like, and then give, give money from it. Like with you, 
you have a happiness and a passion for writing. Now you're able to like monetize it and use it in a way for your career by writing books and you're pursuing that. I think it's really dope that you like really started like to go after and taking these quote unquote risk, like, cause it is a risk, but at the same time, it's like you going out of something that you really want. So it's not, it doesn't come off as a risk to you. I think, yeah. it's really, I think that's really dope that you do that. So, and you said this book, Jack of All Trades, is like based off like just your party promoting experiences, you know, me being the young college student I am, you know, I was in some of those parties, especially yeah. my early years at uh, school. Like, so give us a base and a synopsis for those who don't know what Jack of All Trades is going to be about. So, it, like, the the main character, Jack Onovan, which, quick funny story, the name came from, I don't know if you remember these stories, but I used to do slang word of the day. So, the main character, more times than not, his name was Jack Onovan. So, that's why I made the main character of the book, Jack Onovan, kind of like the playoff that for, like, the people that knew those old days. But it's about Jack Onovan. He's a reporter at the school newspaper. And he, it basically has like love at first sight. He becomes infatuated with this girl he has to interview for this story named Bethany. And he's like, Bethany the one, like, you know, beautiful, insightful, you know, just he could really see himself, you know, being with her. So he decides to pursue her. Pursuing her takes him on a venture that he didn't really expect. So. His pursuit of her leads him to eventually start throwing parties in order to see her. And initially it's about, okay, let me get with this girl, you know, who I want to be with. But he realizes the impact that it has on the student body, how it kind of galvanizes groups of students together. Cause you know, you know, just from going to my parties, they had all different types of people, whether you were in Greek life, athletes, regular students, black, white, Hispanic, the whole nine was always at the party. Which I love because that's how the type of person I am. I'm very inclusive. So if you go to any other party in Kentucky, it's like one ethnicity or like one type of demographic. It's very like vanilla. And I thought with the beauty of my parties, <laughs> I just realized that when you said like, it's very yeah, vanilla, white. <laughs> no, I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even think about that until you laughed at that. Yeah, like, like, like it's not only about, you know, what's at the party far as the DJ and the atmosphere that you try to create, but the demographic, I feel, has a lot to do with the energy you emit, too. Mm-hmm. Because with anywhere, if you see people that look like you, that make you more comfortable. That makes you more comfortable, right? But not only if you see people that look like you, but if you see a variety of different people, it makes you feel more comfortable to let loose, to be yourself. Because you'll get the, let's say we go to a party and like most of the people are black. If you're black, you feel comfortable. If you're not right. black feel a little less comfortable, which is normal. You go to a party and most of the people white, if you black, you feel a little less comfortable because you like Hell yeah. black people. Now, when you mix all those different ethnicities, you like, oh, I see some black people. Oh, I see some white people. Oh, I see some Hispanic people. So it makes you feel more comfortable. And then when you see everyone just doing their own thing, you don't feel like you are judged. So like if you see all these different 
social, you know, classes, you don't feel like you have to be in that one group to belong. So that makes you always want to come back. So he creates that type of atmosphere at this school. And then now it's like, oh, dang, like he's popping. Like he's the big thing on campus. And it's this frat guy named Brett, whose dad is also the president of the school that doesn't like that. He likes the school being, the, you know, essentially when you think about it, segregated kind of in a way where it's, you know, Greeks life. If you're not in Greek life, you don't go to these parties. You know, he kind of likes having this monopoly around the party scene at the school. So him and Jack Onovan butthead start this rivalry and it just takes everything in a whole different type of situation. And then Jack Onovan, as a result, finds himself also in a little triangle with this other girl he has class with. And yeah, everything just takes takes a turn after that. So it sounds like you got like a lot of like things will be talked about in this book. I know you contacted me, you know I me, mean? you talked in the early process of this book to kind of like get my experience. I know you contacted a multitude of people to kind of get like different experiences, which I think is pretty dope. Cause like, like I said, you already had the experience yourself from like promoting these parties and hosting these parties, but getting like personal accounts, people that you met and people that you know, and like what their experiences had and like what the wildest things they have done on college. Like you kind of like taking this all into the story and from, like, the plot that you just gave out, like, you have, like, a lot of themes you're going to tackle here. I think it's pretty interesting to do. Like, when you was writing all of this and putting all this together from your experience, everybody else's experiences, like, how, like, how was it for you to, like, tie it all together into, like, one story? I know with me, you was talking before, like, how you said that when you were writing the book, you didn't really realize how long it was. And like, yeah. Yeah, and like, we doing some research for like other books and seeing how it is, like how some books are. Like, how was it like taking all these experiences and like putting it together to one story? Like, what was that process like for you? It was hard because, so like I said, when I called you and did other calls to other people, not only to check up on you, but like to hear your experiences and see what type of things that I could possibly tie into the book in order to make it richer as a novel. It was like, there was so many great stories and so much information. It's like, okay, how do I keep like the basis that I have, which is already great because it's my experience, which not all my books, but this first book is really, you know, tied to what happened to me. How do I throw other elements of other people that way, you know, we all feel like we're in this story or it's relatable to everyone. So, I had to be very selective on what other things I can add without like taking away like the baseline theme. So that part was hard of it. And some of the ideas, like I keep everything in a notepad on my, on the notepad, ugh, the note section of my phone. So like some of these ideas, I'm gonna come back to a table for later books because they were great ideas. It just, you can't fit everything in one book. I don't want to overwhelm people. I want to still keep the book, you know, easy to follow even though like my writing style is, you know, dialogue heavy. There's a lot of point of view switches. So you're very, you feel very immersed in it. I wanted it to feel kind of like a movie, you know? So that's kind of the, the part that I really wanted it to feel like a movie because the goal is for it to be a movie or a TV show at some point. So I think that part of it is, you know, the enriching part that you can you get to hear from Jack Donovan in certain parts of the book. 
You get to hear what Bethany feels in certain parts of the book. You get to hear about the point of view through, you know, Brett's eyes. So I think a lot of these books, especially if you look at movies, TV shows, most of them are, you know, let's say it, the lead character is Stephanie. Mm-hmm. The whole movie is narrated through Stephanie's eyes. Nothing wrong with that, but it's very conventional. And I think where I come in is, I think not only my life, but a lot of the things I do stylistically aren't conventional. So for me to be able to throw in these other per- perspectives, it makes you not only empathize with the characters, but it gives you a better insight to the whole thing that I'm trying to show you in my story because you like, oh, dang, now I see why she feels that way. It gets you to you know, leave whatever first impressions you have at the door and get to really know these characters. And I try to make it so that you want to get to know these characters and that they have that and they feel, you know, like normal people, essentially. You know, as as a dope thing, too, that you, like, actually took the time to, like, not keep it as conventional as you as you spoke on. I want to get, like, different perspectives from different characters in the book and, like, let them tell their side of the story. So that way, as a reader, you're not looking at it from just, like, Jack Olivan's point of view. You're looking at it from yeah. Bethany's point of view and all these other characters' point of view. I think it's really important to do, like, when you follow, like, a parallel story structure that way and you kind of, like, tying it all together and, like, telling different sides of the stories because it adds more depth to the characters itself and to the story overall. Because from what I understand and from what we're talking about, like, this ain't going to be the only book in this series. Yet. Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're planning on writing more books, like, following the series too, correct? 100%. Right now, uh... My thought process, because like I said, I have this all mapped out in my head. Like, <laughs> like if we had like some type of technology to show people like half the stuff in my head, I think people would just be blown away because it's so, it, everything is like planned in advance. So there is a very mono- uh, methodical approach to how I'm doing this. So I have five books I'm thinking off the top of my head for the initial story for Jack Onovan. But this is going to be the whole Jackoverse, like the whole universe of Jack Onovan. Are you making a world? Yeah, like a whole world. Like I, like no. how Harry Potter has his own universe or like how Power is creating their own universe. That's how I want mine. You have your old JCU, Jack yeah, Onovan's yeah, yeah. cinematic exactly. universe. Or like MCU, like that too. Yeah. So uh, I'll have uh, two spinoff books that I have in mind, two spinoff stories. I'm thinking about those being trilogies. One is more of a a book about a basketball coach that gets, you know, kicked out of his school for a scandal. And he kind of has to refine himself and uh, find himself again and his approach in order to be successful and to take a team that is at an HBCU (laughs) and make them a relevant program. Uh, which I think would be a really dope story and uh, something that a lot of people don't really see because I, I try to make my book as unique as it possibly can because regardless if someone else tries to replicate the idea, I don't think they could tell the story how I tell the story because they're not me. Yeah. So the other spinoff would be a book about coaching through football. So about a football coach that was supposed to be a star, but 
a debilitating injury stopped him from pursuing an NFL career when he was a projected first-round pick. And he's been on all these other staffs as a defensive coordinator. And he goes to this school that is a PWI, but it's like in South Carolina. It He has to go against not only building a program that's never, ever, ever, ever been a good football program and make them a powerhouse, essentially off of just his name value, like starting to recruit guys based off of the fact that they remember him being a good football player. And he has to go against an AD that is racist, and he only got the job to kind of fill a quota. Mm. So dealing with all of that and trying to build this program, like first, you know, the first book would be, you know, him and the AD, like kind of fleshing that whole process out kind of with that. And his whole staff would also be interesting because he didn't go about the conventional way of creating a staff. His staff involves all members of his uh, his friend group. So all of his friends got jobs after college and he hit them up and he was like, hey, do you guys want to be on my staff? So it's a pretty wacky experience and he gets a lot of flack for that, for just hiring his friends that never played collegiate sports. They work regular jobs and... They played high school football, that's it. But you'll see how their experience in the real world actually helps them as coaches when they would think that would be a hindrance. So I got that. Then I got, like, an idea where I wanted to do, like, a spring break book that's, like, based off of something that happened to me in spring break. It would be in Cabo. And, like, it would be – you know how Power the Last Five episodes were all in different perspectives? Now, I will tell you this. I feel like my, my fellow black people are going to judge me. I never watched Power. <laughs> I know I know about it. I know about it. I know Tyreek, from Louisville, L1C4. I know yeah, that. I, when, when I found that out, I was like, oh, that's amazing. I was Man. like, it's from... I was like, yeah. <laughs> I Man. made me even want to watch it more, even though I already was going to watch it. So that right. was the... I always, I always guys show love people that's from Louisville that's yeah, doing big 100%. things. But like, I, I never watched Power. Like, I never took time. Like, my friends love it. I know a little bit about it, but myself, I, mean, I yeah. never watched it. So I, I'm sorry. It's worth it. Like me, so it's a couple of things. As a storyteller, mm-hmm. I was a teaching assistant for several years, and then one of the classes that I was a teaching assistant for over the summer was a a movie critique class. So that helped change my perspective of how I look at movies. So I'm already an analytical person, obviously, because of sports. So when I watch movies, I naturally have this urge to critique them. I can't help myself. Now, you add on the fact that I, I write books now. So I'm looking for storytelling structure and character development more than the average fan. <laughs> so I look at movies and TV shows very intently. And I would say out of all the things that I watch and that I, you know, scroll through and look through kind of because I have a pretty good knack of being able to do it on the fly fairly well. And it gets better as you see things more and more and more and more. Power easily has to be the best show that I watch. Like if you look at the structure of how everything is set up, how the characters are developed, how they keep you on your toes as far as plot, uh, no plot twists and whatnot. And also, if you look at the motive and whatnot of how things are happening. And then when you look at, you know, inside power and all those different, you know, things like that, 
where you get to hear Courtney's piece too, which adds a level to understanding or how you view it too, because you get to hear what the creator was thinking when she was, you know, developing the plot and creating all these characters. It's like, wow. So for me, that has to be my biggest inspiration on a storytelling level because every single time that I watch her show, it gives me like these jitters. It's like, that has to be like one of the most exciting things for my week when I know that a new episode of the Powers is going to come out because I'm like, okay, what inspiration can I draw from this? Right? So I'm looking at it and I'm like, not only am I engrossing the story, but I'm like, what does she do this well to make me, you know, feel this way about how I feel? Because I feel all great content, whether you like it or not, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. It's to invoke some type of emotion out of you. So me when I'm writing this book and when I'm writing other books, even when I was writing this book, I'm like, what could I do that would invoke some type of emotion out of the audience when they read this? And some of these emotions you like, some of you don't, won't like, but that's not the point. Some people will understand it and I'll try my best. Like the goal was to try my best to make them understand it through the plot line. Some of them won't understand it. Then, you know, for example, how people didn't like Tariq with his whole situation with, you know, ghosts and all of that. What I do like about this, you know, second uh, situation with power in book two, she's humanizing Tariq, which I also think that is important too. Because you don't have to like the villain, but just because they're a villain, that doesn't mean that they aren't people as well. So when you add that humanizing villain, humanizing element to it, that gets people to like the villain or the anti-hero, which in this situation, Tariq is developed more from a villain to like an anti-hero in a sense, because he's the protagonist of this new series, you're like, whoa. So I think that with each book and the more that I'm watching other storytellers do their thing, it'll just advance my mind as far as my ability to tell these stories. Because a lot of authors read books in order to write because, you know, this old adage of, you know, good writers read more than they write. And I'm like the opposite. Like, I write more than I read, and I watch more shows than I write. So it's just my learning style. Seeing it visually and seeing how all those elements intertwine can help me more than just reading a bunch of books because I don't think most of these writers are going to write the way I write. Yeah. And it's... It's, it's, a, it's a good point you brought up about like how how you said in Tariq's case how they're humanizing him even though he's the villain and you know when you look when you look at like a lot of like movies and shows from like from the past like there there has been some accounts where the villains have been humanized a little bit but we started seeing a little bit more in in movies and TVs nowadays for example like Thanos and the Avengers yeah. saga, he was very humanized. Like, you know, even though people thought he was cruel for, like, wanting to snap half the universe, like, I, I feel like Marvel did a good job of explaining, like, his reasoning behind it. And you kind of, like, understood, like, you know what? You, you're making sense, Stan. This, this, this kind of makes sense, especially <laughs> if you know a little bit more about his backstory, too, like, looking into the comics, it makes sense. Like, and then, I don't know if you watch uh, The Boys on Amazon Prime. Like, there's a character named... Oh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. So the one character's Homelander who's supposed to be like just this 
like basically the whole show is like kind of like a parody on like superheroes but they use superheroes as like an allegory for like a lot of societal things that goes mm-hmm. on with like celebrity worship uh talk about mm-hmm. like church religion like a bunch like a bunch of different stuff it's, the government is real good i like it it's finished season two but like homeland is supposed to be like this evil version of superman he's not just like a pure evil version of superman like just evil for no reason like he's a sociopath but you like start to understand why the sociopath like it, it gets to the point that like this man is brutal like this man he would laser beam the fuck out of anybody quickly in a heartbeat like in a heartbeat but yeah. but you would like it's to the point now where i understand why he is the way he is and i somewhat feel bad for him because at yeah. the end of the day Powerful. he just wants to be loved like because he's like one of the first I ain't gonna spoil too much, but like he's like one of the first heroes to like being made. So he just wants to be loved, you know, because he really never got that growing up. So it's good when you see people, authors, uh, movie movie filmmakers, and TV show producers who make these characters, these villains, more humanized. You know, is is that something we can see in your book as well? Like, are you like humanizing people who you typically don't want to like these villains? You people really don't typically see a human side of uh yeah i can't give it away but like there there's a there's a method to brett's madness that's that's all i can say like he's he's more complex than what you would think on the surface you know with Mm -hmm. the prototypical you know frat guy that has parents with a whole bunch of money that type of deal like yeah he, he has more layers than people would give him credit for and i think how his version of the story or his side of the story in the book and that's honestly that was probably one of my favorite parts to write like how i told the ending to his version of it to like throughout the book i, I think that's gonna be cool to read you know as, and that's really good to hear it's like that you actually had it like like we said some depth to some of these characters especially to brett and i kind of understand him even though he's supposed to be this vile frat guy but you kind of like understand him a little bit better you know going off that and like the process you went through writing this book and you know you mentioned like how you have like all these ideas like opening up this world like from this book like this is not gonna be the only book you plan on writing but you want to make a world out of it like talk to us like what was like what is the struggles that you had to that you experienced like going through this process because you brought you broke it down earlier like how when you initially was talking about this book you just had all these ideas and then we started like putting you know fingers to the keyboard and started actually writing it down and like kind of jotting out these ideas you kind of like started developing like developing the book and these ideas a little bit more like what was the struggles that you went through in this process to like make this book especially for you being a first-time author yeah. and coming into it in a way that like not too many people were actually going to making books in the first place i would say the biggest struggle for me was the length of it because See, when I first wrote it, I was so eager. I was like, I got to put this out. I got to put this out. I got to put this out, right? So when I first wrote it, I wrote it in 2019. I was like, hey, I'm trying to get this out by the end of 2019, which is very possible. But I think I would have been robbing myself and the people that's going to read this of an extra level of depth and insight into the book because it was very raw, very, very, very raw. I think getting with the publisher that I had, I think the best thing I did for myself in order to prepare myself for the length and 
you know, the stress of going through all of this in the process is I was very, very open-minded. I, I kind of buffered it, right? So at the end of the day, it's my book. So an editor can give you all the suggestions in the world, but the tiebreaker is, is your book. Like, if it's not how you want it to be, then you don't have to make the change. I think people assume that because these people are here to help you, that you have to go along with every single change that they want you to make. I did it. <laughs> I mean, there were some changes that I was like, nah, it has to be this way because it just fits. And like my editors understood that. And then there were some changes where even though I didn't like it at, the, at, the, at first, I thought about it and I was like, dang, you know, he's right or she's right. You know, I should make that change to the book. So I would say each editor, you know, my, my first, my developmental editor, and now, you know, my marketing revisions, revisions editor, they both fit their roles to a T. My developmental editor helped me add things to my book that made it 35, 45 times better. Like the original story was good, but obviously because I had a first draft and I just wrote. One thing that you should do when you write, don't edit yourself. If you edit yourself, you will never finish it. You just need to get stuff, you know, on the page. So there were plot holes that I didn't see. <laughs> there were parts that could have been written better. Uh, narration could have been, you know, more in depth, tighter, uh, that type of stuff. Um, in the first, the first writing of the book, Bethany wasn't that strong of a character. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I didn't realize it until one of the editors, because we have an acquiring editor that reads everything and a co-read and lets you know their honest thoughts of it. She said that Bethany feels like a minor character. And I didn't realize it until I read through her critique and started looking through it. And I was like, yeah, I can see how she feels like a minor character, the uh, person that's, you know, reading this for the first time. Like, how you see certain movies where, oh, the cute girl is like there a few couple scenes and here and there, but you don't really know that much about her. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I have to make a more concerted effort to, you know, increase her time in the book to, to give her more depth. And I feel like I did that, which I'm glad that someone gave me, you know, the critique and was upfront about that because that could have messed with the book a lot because if I'm making her a main character and she feels insignificant, that's a problem. Like your main characters need to be memorable. You have characters that aren't main characters that are pretty memorable in series. If you think about Harry Potter, I remember Dobby and Dobby didn't even you know, show up that much into the last few movies. Like that's when he was the most prevalent, the last few movies of that series. But everyone remembers Darby and how he helped Harry Potter and all of that. So <laughs> that's the type of depth that I want to get characters. And even some of my, you know, like I said, insignificant characters, I gave them that type of depth. So I think being patient with the process and now when the book will come out, it's been a year and a half that I've been working on this. And now that I've done this, I'm like, I don't think I could push out a book in less than a year and it be, you know, fulfilling its potential. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I could. I think I would be robbing myself and the readers of the potential. So the goal is now, if I can get to the point that some people can do this, not everyone, where I can write two books in a year or three books in a year 
and work on them all simultaneously. Some people can't do that because they start splicing storylines and the whole nine. So if I can f- figure out some system. Cause like Tyler Perry. Yeah, I could be yeah. like Tyler Perry. <laughs> bop, 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 bop. So with the spinoffs, I think I'll be able to do that because it will be kind of like how you have American Pie because I just watched the latest American Pie on Netflix early today. They'll splice the stories, but they'll splice because of central themes like how you always see a Stifler or how you always see certain cameo appearances and not the fact that, okay, all these stories are the exact same because if they are the exact same as a spinoff, then that's just boring. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a grind, but the process and learning how to adapt to the length of this has probably been the most challenging because some days I'm like, <sighs> and then other days I'm like, oh, I'm doing something that, you know, a small percentage of everyone on this planet is doing. That's dope. Yeah. So, you know, going through that experience and, you know, going through those struggles and like going through the process of like writing a book, what was like one thing that kind of like stuck out with you that, you know, initially going into it, you didn't think like was going to happen. Like, oh, I didn't think I need to go do this many rounds of edits or I didn't think I need to like talk to this person, talk to, <laughs> excuse, talk to this editor. Like what was one thing that you like picked up writing this book that like you didn't think was going to happen at first, but like it, it just popped up at you and there's something interesting about just the whole writing process uh, together. Well, the first thing you already mentioned briefly was the edits. I didn't think the edits would need to be this excessive, nor that I was going to do this many rounds of edits. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm going to do, like, two edits. But if you think about it logistically, I really already edited the book, like, four times. Because I had the initial draft that I came in with. I edited that already. Then I did two rounds of revisions already with the marketing editor. Then the copy editors going to come in. Then the proofreaders going to come in. The book, my book, not everyone, but at least everyone's book in the program is going to go through like four or five edits. My book might go through like six or seven just because I already came in with a manuscript. That's a lot of edits, but that also means different eyes, different perspectives, and the book's going to be the best that it can be. And also, one thing that I really, really overlooked, even though I think, I think in a way it was somewhere in the back of my mind, even though I, I didn't go straight into journalism, every part of my six years as a journalist with, you know, UK, ASU, prepared me to be a writer and prepared me to write a book. Because, like, just a quick flashback, I remember I thought about this maybe a few months ago. And when I was in 10th grade, I had this teacher in D.C. named Miss Brody. Miss Brody told me consistently, not saying that I didn't have other teachers that told me this at some point, they probably did, but she was the most prevalent because she said it on a very, very, very consistent basis. She used to always tell me, Lamar, you're a great writer. Obviously, I'm thinking that she says that to everyone. And she does sometimes, you know, she would tell them what things that she like about their writing, blah, blah, blah. But she would stand on a hill and die on it that I was a great writer. Me, I didn't like to write. I went to a STEM high school. I did engineering. Was fully sold that I was going to, you know, be an engineer in college. (laughs) Didn't happen. (laughs) So maybe Miss Brody's 
like voice is honestly maybe a prelude to my life. So Miss Brody, I had her in temporary, had her in tool. She always would tell me that I was a great writer. And I was like, eh, it's cool or whatever, blah, blah, blah. If I told Miss Brody now that I was writing a book, she probably would have been like, oh yeah, I already thought that you could do that. Or I already foresaw that. So I think that is something that is kind of crazy to me. And then we had the journalism element of that how we talked on the phone about, you know, your experiences at UK and like different perspectives with that. And I did that with a bunch of other people as well. And then with my second book, even before I started writing the first draft, I interviewed several of my friends that inspired main characters for this book. I interviewed a couple of people that had jobs that was going to help me get depth into certain characters that I wanted to create for this book. Like I interviewed, you know, uh, someone on the ASU basketball team, I'm not gonna name names, someone on the ASU uh, basketball team, as far as the women's team. And then I interviewed like someone that you know went to JUCO, went to D1, and then was on a transfer. So, like, someone that under- understood the JUCO process because I, one of my main characters was gonna be a JUCO to D1 type of dude. So, all these skills that I picked up in journalism made those conversations, made ways to realize, okay, who can I contact for this to get in contact with that person? It made all of that effortless because it was second nature. Yeah. And then all those skills were able to apply, you know, implement to my writing because, you know, I naturally know what's a good quote or what's a good soundbite based off of like my journalism mind. And then I knew how to add journalism elements into the story because I took all these classes. So I don't think I realized that instead of people thinking, oh, you're not going to use your degree or if you uh, or you just got it just to get it. Even though I didn't go into journalism in the conventional sense, I'm still a journalism at heart. I still think like a journalist. And a lot of those journalism elements became prevalent in the storyline of this book and become prevalent in how I craft other books. So those two things were main things that I never thought would be this big into the creation of everything. Shout out to Miss Brody too for that. Cause you, you know, it just goes <laughs> to show how important teachers are to like students, like going through like grade school and like how they can kind of shape these people's lives, you know, for you or you kind of didn't really realize it at first, but like she saw that you can be a great writer and now look at you how many years later, like you're an author, you know, finishing up your first book, you know, writing a second book and planning on doing more. And, and it's funny when you think about that because you know, we talk about the editing process, like in writing, like English classes, like you kind of do that yourself too. Like, you know how they make you yeah. like do your first draft, you go switch paper with your neighbor, you know, proofread it, provide comments, and again, get you a second draft, you know, switch it again, like going through that process again. And like for you to actually experience that on a professional level, you know, getting in contact with these people and having multiple editors going through it, like it's just... It just goes to show you, like, how important, like, these teachers and just school in general can be for these people to kind of shape this, like, type of life. And, you know, going off of what you said, too, like, with the journalism mindset, you know, it, even though you're not, like, quote, unquote, using your degree, like you said, you're still taking, like, elements that you learn from them. Because really, like you said, like, journalists are purebred writers at the end of the day. Like, yeah. I was a person myself... 
I mean, I, I would write like stories. Like when I was a kid, like I would make up like stories and stuff, like make up like fictional stories and characters and do that. I haven't really wrote in like years like that though. But like, I was always, I like, had a knack for like English and like just language all together. But never really saw myself as like kind of being like a journalist. I knew I wanted to be on TV or do stuff for entertainment. But I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know. But like just the basic functions of like a journalist, of being a writer, getting in contact with people, talking to people, you know, interviewing them is you can utilize it in almost anything, especially in media, whether it be writing books or like doing a podcast or anything, you just utilize it. So I think that's pretty dope. Um, how did you go about getting in contact with the right people to even start, like start this book? Cause you know, <laughs> you, you, you not coming from that background of like being a, like you did come from background of being a writer, but like a professional background of like writing books and kind of being in that field already. Like how did you go about getting in contact with those people to like get this kind of started and up off the ground and get the, get the wheels rolling down the street, you know? Yeah, no, I feel you. Uh, I just want to say, first of all, you know, uh, I'm not a devout Christian, but I'm blessed, man. I thank God because, you know, one, I'm lucky to even be in this position because this turned 24 in July. I'll be 24 and I will be a published. Leo? What? Are you a Leo? Uh, no, I'm a cancer. Uh, July 9th. Uh, July 9th. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody. So, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I'm 24 and I'm going to be a published author. Not too many people can say that, right? Right. So that is gratifying enough, but the biggest shout out is I want to shout out my friend, Nicole. Corinne, uh, Nicole Elrich, she did Cronkite News with me last fall and both were journalism majors, whatever, both graduated from Cronkite. And like I said about, you know, always, you know, putting that energy out, out there. Everyone knew about my book. Like, everyone in the newsroom knew, oh, Lamar's an author. He wrote a book, blah, blah, blah. Like, I always talked about it, right? And there was always questions about the process, et cetera. So, I didn't know how I was going to publish it. If I was going to sell a publisher, get a publisher. I was very apprehensive about getting a publisher because nothing against, you know, traditional publishers, but I feel like in some ways it could be a trap. Now, in a good deal, any business deal, there's some things that you won't be getting and some things that you will be getting. Though, I did not want to put myself in a deal, in a deal that was uh, not advantageous to me, like put me in a disadvantage where you would see deals where they own 70% of the IP, of the intellectual property, and they're making like... Let's say you make on average like three bucks off of each copy, right? Uh-huh. And they're getting like two dollars and you're getting one. That's not that's not in my best interest. Not at all. Like right. you're getting majority of the money for distributing a book that I wrote. Something about that logic sounds completely backwards to me. Yes, you should get a percentage for distributing content, but I should get majority of the percentage you because created I created the content. Right. So that that didn't sit well with me. So I was really leaning towards self-publishing. Friend Nicole sent me some information that she got from a friend. She was like, hey, look into this. You know, I found this publisher, blah, blah, blah. So I look into it and I got on a call with 
Eric Coster. He uh, is a professor at Georgetown University. Ironically, he would be a professor at a you know the biggest school in DC, which where is where I'm from, and uh, talked to him real quick. And I was like, man, I already got the the book done. Like, I just need someone to publish it. He's like, all right, send it over. Blah blah blah. You know, we'll let you know. So they looked at it, but they was like, all right, this has good ideas, but you're sh- you're not showing enough. You're telling too much. And that there are some plot holes that you could fix, too. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to put you in Eric's program, his Creator Institute, and have him get you with a developmental editor and help you refine your idea. That way it's the best that it you know needs to be. Didn't like that answer, but I was like, all right, I'm open to it. If I was to have you publish my book, how would this look? So New Degree Press sent me the information, asked them several questions, a couple back and forth emails between me and the head of publishing, Brian, uh, Brian Brees. And I looked through everything and I was like, hmm, this is pretty legit. I'm like, this, like I'm winning a lot in this deal. I was like, I would be a fool to pass it up. I get 100% of intellectual property. The only person I'm splitting money with is with Amazon for distributing it. And the money that I have to pay for the book can be raised through a crowdfunding campaign. Now, that can be dicey because majority of the people do, but there's a small percentage of people who don't raise the money or they choose to pay the money up front to get it published. But I was like, man, I'm charismatic enough. I could, I could get that money raised. No problem. So I was like, I'm going to do it. And then for the money that I spent in order to be a part of the program, the return on investment, you know, it usurps all of that. It It is it's overwhelming. Program has led up to the hype and then some. And I'm really, really, really glad Nicole. Shout out Nicole. Gave me, yeah, gave me that information to go to that publisher and now, you know, I'm here. So she, like I said, gave me the tools, gave me the keys, and all I got to do is, you know, whip it. You know, as it goes to show you how important networking is, cause like you, you know, working with Nicole and like her knowing somebody, like that's one thing that I forever will be grateful about college. Cause you know, it was actually a debate that me and my friends had early on in our college year about like college. Cause first I was thinking, well, if I want to be a journalist, I really don't need to go to college. Like I can just start writing stuff online. People do it all the time. Yeah. Turn out that, that that's wrong. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into journalism. It's like ethics and history and like just everything that goes into it. Like one of the main reasons why I appreciate college and just you know that you don't even have to go to college, just like just knowing people, is that you may never know who knows somebody. Like just by you working with Nicole and for her, and for her to like see the passion that you have for wanting to write this book, and like the direction that it took you to where you landed a deal that not many are fortunate to have. You know, it just goes to show that like talk to people. You know, network. Keep in contact with people. You know, you may never know who knows anybody because that can be. Like the person that you talk to, that you work with, could be the person who kind of like 
cracks open the door for you to kickstart yeah. your, your career. And that was the case out for you. So that's pretty dope that that was happening. And like you said, man, you are pretty blessed for that to happen. Cause like not too many people get into situations where stuff like that happens. I know you see with like a lot of rappers or recording artists yes. who get, who get into these, I thought about. man, like who get into <laughs> these deals who like, where they kind of get like played a bit and they making these music. But meanwhile, the production, I mean, the, the company, the distributors, are making most of the money, even though they're making the work, yeah. and some of them end up being broke and like don't even get out of their deals like that. So that's pretty dope that that was happened that, that happened to you. Now speaking on music, you know, keeping it on that vein, I understand that you was talking about having a soundtrack with this book as well. Uh, talk to us about this. What's the like? I haven't really seen or heard anything about a soundtrack ever coming with a book before. Like, what was your inspiration, and like? What was the inspiration behind like wanting to do this and add a soundtrack with this book all together? Man, <laughs> it, was, it was very, 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 very spur of the moment. So again, like I said, me just, it's, it's essentially like the epitome of my story as a person and the story of Jack Onovan in the book. You know, you can't be great without the help of other people. So my friend Noah, you know, that's my my dog. Like I coached Noah at ASU, so I was the the head coach of their club basketball team. So that's how me and Noah met. So Noah posted something on his Instagram, and I saw it, and I was like, I clowned him. I was like, "Man, you look like you that's an album cover or something." And he was like, "Yeah, ha ha ha, that's it. Looked like the album cover of Jack of All Trades." And I was like, hmm. And I was like, Noah, were you serious about that? Or were you joking? Because I was like, that low-key is a, you know, a decent idea. And he was like, I don't know. We should just do it. And I was like, how are we going to get it done? And then we just kind of like went through it all, the whole process. He talked to, you know, his people in, that, in the industry or whatever. Because the only reason why it is a even possible, like remotely possible, mm-hmm. is because a lot of people don't know this about Noah unless they're good friends with him. Noah has been a, a doing independent artist relations since he was like 15. Really? So, yeah, so he knows a lot of artists. Uh, he's been doing this for over six years. He also is a DJ. So Noah has way more insight into music as well as basketball, <laughs> which a lot of people uh, know if you know Noah that a lot of people don't have. Like, he's put me on the music music that I've never heard before, and we talk a lot about music and basketball and sports in general. So he, as well, is kind of a jack-of-all-trades. So, you know, shout-out to Noah. And Noah, he, uh, like, he's helped people with some projects and stuff like that, and he got some insight, and he told me what the deal was. So a lot of people don't know this, but... I'm going to tell you first before I tell anybody. So the deal was with the project is that if I wanted it done, I could not make money off of it. Because unless we was going to pay people up front, which at the moment, I don't have that type of capital, right? Mm -hmm. And the the music would just be inspired by my, my novel. I wasn't, you know, cutting any beats, writing any lyrics. So I thought about it how I thought about the way with my book deal. That's true. Why would I be getting money 
if they're the ones putting in all the work. Right. So when he told me that, and he was like, I'm willing to do it just because I believe in your vision with your book. I think it's a dope idea. And if we do this, it could change the whole game to how books are created. Right? On some, like, LeBron going to Miami type of deal. Yep. So I was like, yeah, I want to be the first because the bit, the benefits supersede, you know, the risk that goes into creating this. So I was like, all right, whoever we got to get the, do the project, we letting all of them know we're not getting any cuts. I get in, you know, everything or whatever. We'll figure all the other logistics out with it or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go super deep into how we planned it, but the basic baseline of it was we weren't profiting off of this. We were all the artists. Yeah. We putting it all on the artists. We're just going to, you know, get everybody together. Kind of like how people get compilation projects together any other time, you know, think of it like the dream team of artists, like, you know, the Black Panther soundtrack or how MMG used to do all the, you know, albums or whatever. So that's how we want to construct it. So, Essentially, like a movie soundtrack, we would have a list of tracks. Each track would be inspired by a scene in the book. And then from there, we would just let the artists, you know, have free range on however they perceived it and just, you know, create, create it. So we've been looking for artists for a long time. We found majority of everyone. We still have to go back, you know, find a couple producers and artists and whatnot i mean i was able to get some of the some of my friends to be on the project he was able to get some of his friends to be on the project as well and yeah this idea isn't even slightly slightly possible if noah didn't have the type of connections that he had going back to what we said earlier yeah knowing people you may never know yeah so <laughs> like I said, God just blessed me to have like people in my circle that not only care about me but have faith in my vision to put me in the right direction with these different situations. So we're probably gonna push the deadline back because you know COVID. We got to figure out some other things going on, but it will be out. I can't tell you the length at the moment or how everything will be set up, but it will be out, and when it'll be out. When it when we know like more information and got everything fine tooth and combed, we'll like you know let the public know. But it, it definitely will be out. We we just you know you know how music is like sometimes things just get pushed back and yeah other stuff happens that isn't in your control. So you just gotta let things happen how they happen. That's that's why I was I was when you told me about like how you how you had people like working on a single for the book like I'm like I got got soundtrack with the book like I, I like I've never heard of something like that I'm like bro that's dope like that's even like you said like people have soundtracks to movies like you have a soundtrack to a book and how you went about going through this process and like we said earlier you may never know who knows people you know and Noah being good friends with him and him being tied to the music industry. That's another blessing right there. That's dope in itself. And if you need more artists, let me know. I've got some friends, plenty of friends who make music and then producers too, who would love to help. I'm pretty sure. Um, so, let's, you know, 
this is like my last question here before we get off over here. You know, with all of this, you know, going on with this book coming out soon and you talking about like how you have more books to come, what do we hope to see from the release of this book and what can we expect from you in the future? Uh, I think the, the biggest takeaway from this book, how I go about everything that I want people to have actually relates back to the theme in a way, like it's a dual duality type of way. So the theme of the book, tire book is to embrace your individuality. Right. Mm-hmm. So God made everyone one of one for a reason. Even if you have a twin, no two twins have the exact same brain. They may have the same physical appearance, but their minds and how they do things aren't the same. Right. Ooh. Understanding that, being comfortable with that and embracing that, I think is what this book will do for people is because you have a guy that, you know, is just your average student that makes all these things happen that are beyond what he would ever a dreamt that this experience would be like just because, you know, he was cool with being him. And as you go through the book, he realizes that it's cool to be him, as well as the fact that with this experience that I realized that I kind of got this, this word of advice from another author in my program. Uh, honestly, I don't remember her name. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't think of all the top of my head. But uh, she told me when we were in like one of our sessions in our author group that one of the biggest things that she took away from me explaining my book to her as far as like early praise is that if there isn't an opportunity, create it. So a lot of people always talk about, you know, nothing wrong with like jobs or anything like that, or, you know, getting internships or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If there's even a slight chance to create an opportunity, create it. So me, if we doing the, the parallel of my life, there wasn't a, you know, like no one paid to go to parties at Kentucky. That wasn't a thing. No one had everything set up how I had set it up. So the opportunity presented itself where a guy would say, hey, I want to throw parties. I need help. You apparently know a lot of people. Would you be willing to do it? I did it. There wasn't an opportunity to create one. I wanted to enjoy myself. I wanted to have fun. So I was like, hey. I keep asking other people to throw parties or expecting other people to throw parties. Why not just do it myself? Saw the opportunity, created it, executed. And then it goes back to, you know, everything going on just with my life. I don't know if you notice this, but I notice this because I'm very detailed. When I first decided to go to grad school, that was a foreign concept at Kentucky, right? So most journalism majors went to work at whatever network that they decided to out of, you know, the like 206 media markets that we have in the U.S. And then they just bounce from market to market to market, right? Mail was confused. A whole bunch of other teachers were surprised. Even Scooby was surprised. And she did a letter of recommendation to that is like that I wanted to go to, you know, grad school. And I was like, you know, I may want to teach one day. Why not get it? And if I want to get a grad degree, I want to just get it out the way. Why wait while I'm already in the flow of things in my mind? After that happened, not saying it was a copycat, but I'm just saying like I show people that this road is there. 
It's just people didn't think it was there. So after I did it, Michelle, she about to get a, a grad degree at Syracuse. Journalism. Uh, you got Curtis. Curtis go to Northwestern. Another Curtis, elite that's my guy. Exactly. Another elite school. Then uh, Camilla. Camilla go to ASU now, too. And I... I uh, Shout out to Camilla. Yeah. And I introduced her to different professors that I had at the school when she visited. Because, like, we had met up or whatever, and she asked me her opinions about it. And then Kobe, she waited later in the fact, but she go to uh, LSU, and she's about to have uh, a journalism degree and a master's in journalism from LSU, which is also is like the alma mater of her dad. And like she loves LSU as well. Always been a fan even before. Mm-hmm. She so, like I said, me doing this will create other paths for other people because they be like, "Oh, he's 24. He wrote a book. I'm 22. I'm just as smart as him. I can write a book." You can, but it's just always this idea that certain professions or certain situations look a certain way, but they don't have to. Most people that you think write books, you think of, oh, he like 42 or he's a celebrity and he wrote a book just because he know people going to buy it. I'm none of those things. I'm just Lamar. We created another opportunity for someone else. Someone else may want to do music and they writing a book and they like, huh, he did that. You know, they may make a connection here and there and may they want to put out like an EP, like a three or four songs because they saw that I did it. So my goal is that I want people to understand that I'm very flawed, just like anyone else. And my flaws is what make me great is what makes me great. So you have flaws. Use your flaws to understand your own greatness. Everyone isn't going to be LeBron or, you know, uh, Calvin Johnson's, the Larry Fitzgerald's, or B. Wale, Meek Mill, Rick Ross. Like, we're all not going to get into these type of professions where the money going to come just off the rip if you find the right situation and if you put in the right amount of work. If you look at it, I think it's a statistic that 3% of the people, 3% of the 3 million books that come out every single year sell 5,000 copies. So only 3% of those authors sell 5,000 copies. You need 10 to 11,000 to be considered a bestseller by New York Times. Really? So that means probably less than 1% of those people are bestselling no- uh, novelists. I feel like I can be that because I'm creating a path for myself that isn't present. I can't think of any other book, and trust me, I try to think of it, that talks about what I talk about, nor has an accurate depiction of how college life is. When they see that, then they'll be like, huh, I can write a book about what happens happened to me in college, or blah, 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 or whatever the case may be in that situation. So I want people to take away that, you know, be comfortable in your own skin because God created you and there's no one else like you. There won't ever be anyone else like you. I know, that's right. And then two, if there isn't an opportunity, forget what, you know, anyone else tells you or what the outside noise is, create that opportunity. You're a smart enough individual, whether you went to college or whether you didn't go to college. 
everyone has their own form of intelligence and their own gifts. Capitalize on it and make something happen. No one needs to tell you, hey, you need to work this job or, hey, you got to do this this way. Forget what they say. Be happy. Find some way that you can create an opportunity. Because if you create the opportunity, I'm sure that someone else will follow. And then it will change the whole longevity of everything. Like I said about LeBron. Players have more power than they ever had. And now, you know, the table will not the table, but the power dynamic is a lot more even than it's ever been for athletes. Yeah. Because LeBron had the courage to say, hey, I don't care what anyone says. I want to play with my, you know, my homies and I want to win rings and I want to do all the things that I want to do. You know, in this league, I don't want to just be, you know, the guy that everyone says that, oh, he's good, but he doesn't have championships. I want championships. I want to win. Let me leave. He, he took matters into his own hands and waited for somebody else to do it for him. He could have stayed in Miami, too. And maybe, maybe won another ring, but he was like, no, I want to win one for my hometown, which you could probably look it up. I can't think of anyone else ever in basketball that's won a, a ring for their hometown. That's so hard to do. The pressure and noise that you have far as, like, winning one for your city. Like, I've seen people go to their own college, like, that was in their hometown. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone has made that big of an impact in their hometown. He is Cleveland. Like, Cleveland's history stops and starts with him. You could talk about Mark Price and Steve Kerr and all those other teams that they had. But Jordan booted them out. And they never made that big of a deep, you know, runs in in the playoffs. First, Every first Cleveland team to win a championship in like what sixty four years? Was this nineteen sixty something? I think it was like fifty, sixty years. Yeah. And then every finals appearance in Cleveland history was LeBron. LeBron could have stayed with Cleveland the rest of his career, but he was like, you know what? I want to see how many more rings I can get before I retire. He saw L.A. He realized what he could do to bring one of the greatest franchises ever back to the top of the heap. What do you do? Within two years, boom, got him a ring. Went from mean team the, the, the first year with the championship team the next year. Yeah, so you just you got to be that trailblazer. And I, I hope I can be that for other people and that this shows other people that if there isn't a way, you can still create it. Right. So where can people find this book? I know I, I already got my pre-order. Where can people find your book at on Amazon? So uh, I don't remember the exact timeline, but when we have everything done, I think a couple weeks before it comes out officially, we'll set everything up. It'll be on Amazon. It'll be on Barnes and Nobles, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I can put it on other places like Goodreads, all that type of stuff. And the ebook will be on there. The paperback will be on there. And then all the other logistics I'll be able to give, like, probably closer to the date. But, yeah, it's just be on Amazon and Barnes & Noble most likely. And then any other sites, I'll, like, let people know as I start fleshing that out. And I'll definitely will be posted. So you all that want to stay tuned and look for his book, go ahead. Y'all follow Lamar on Instagram, Inside380. Uh, and I would definitely repost it when the book comes out finally. Uh, Lamar, I appreciate you for coming on to the show. We had a great conversation, man. 
appreciate you for those words and wisdom at the end of it too. And in fact, me, I hope it affects everybody else that listened to it as well. Um, appreciate you once again for joining us and how you doing, dog. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Love All being right. on here. Yes, sir. Y'all take care. Peace out.